Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hey, Reg, what are you up to, my friend? Feel like making a podcast? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> let me clear my throat. Let me uh, let me clear the instrument. <clears throat> okay. Are you set? I'm set. Let's just get to it. All right. Star, smile, strong. Look at me. I'm going right for it. Right down the book, 381. You got that. Okay, cool. Get that trigger figure ready on the music. Star, smile, strong. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Of course we are. But listening is not enough, my friend. So get out there. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. That loyalty and devotion, it'll get you some points with the man upstairs. Take it from me. I've got an inside line. <laughs> if you like what you hear, don't forget, you go to WZNRadio.com. You hit the prompt for this podcast. Well, first you hit the prompt, the prompt for the podcasts in general. Then you hit the prompt for this podcast. And then, oh, my gosh. Podcasts aplenty. There for your enjoyment. New and old. You can listen to last week. You can listen to last years. You can listen to ones from three or four years ago. It's always good to stay up to date. Good to know where we've been so you know where we're going. Right now we're going to episode 381. Welcome. So today I wanted to talk about uh, a topic that's really not easy for me to talk about. I'm not exactly excited to talk about this in the way that I'm going to. But as I've said to you on many occasions, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I'm a realist. And I face the facts I always believe that the best way to solve a problem is to be honest about a problem. The best way to move forward is to look at a situation uh, in its basic reality. Even reality is sometimes hard to come by, true reality, but at, at least where the facts seem to fall, okay? We're coming up on a, a new uh football season here well the football season is actually upon us now and uh you know especially here in chicago uh 
football fans have a delusional view of the Chicago Bears, always have, always will. Uh, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but let me just let me just go on the record here by saying uh, very quickly, I'm not going to make a big deal on this, but just so it's on the record, uh, Bears in 2023 season, 2024, I don't know if the season goes into the first half of the year, um, the first month or so, uh, the Bears won't be playing in it in any way in terms of the playoffs. Uh, just so you know, Bears record this year, 5-12, and 12, if they're lucky. For all this optimism and all the this crazy delusion and this not living in a world of reality, the Bears were the worst team among the worst team, if not the worst team last year, and they did nothing to even come close to having a winning record and going to the playoffs and beyond. That's delusional. So just remember where you heard it here first. Five and 12, if they're lucky. And the only reason I'm giving them that many, maybe six, and the only reason I'm giving them that is because they have a last place schedule. They came in last place last year, so they get one of the easiest, weakest schedules. So that's why they may eke out a couple more wins. But that's about it. Sorry to pop your bubbles, fans. But anyway, (laughs) I digress. So last week or so, some um, some sad news, some interesting news, and some news that led me to this conclusion. Let me boldly state it at the beginning, and then now we will. And then I'll I'll, I'll I'll state my prediction. I'll state my thesis, and then I'll I'll come back and explain how I I, I reached this. Anybody who listens to me, who has listened to me, who knows me, I love music. I'm a huge music fan. I've, I've got, back when you used to have a record collection of CDs and albums, first, of course, I had vinyl albums and I had cassettes and I had eight tracks. I even had some reel-to-reels, okay? That's how big of a fan I was, um, am, of, but back then, I had, I had a reel-to-reel. These little, they, they, they were sold in little boxes. They weren't the big reels, but they were small little boxes. They were, they're pretty cool, actually. <laughs> they had the same covers on them as the albums. They were very, very neat. They were hard to find, but they're very cool. Um, I had more than 5,000 CD collection, and I had everything from A to Z, from Pavarotti to the Sex Pistols. Love music, love concerts. If you know me, you know that. Love rock and roll, pop music. It's my favorite of all. So it, it, it pains me to say this, but I really believe, based on, once again, reality and the, the current <laughs> wave of what's going on, my bold prediction is that I believe that rock and roll music will be gone by the year 2033. That's 10 years. You say, Jim, what are you talking about? What do you mean rock and roll? Rock and roll will never die, right? Long live rock. Rock and roll is here to stay, right? All those songs. Well, I think that was the standpoint. That was, that was youthful ignorance and youthful arrogance 
at a time when rock and roll was just beginning and taking its foothold in the in the culture there was a there was a brashness uh that this was the music above all other musics because it was the music of that era and it was the music of that generation and everybody's generation thinks theirs is the best no matter how their generation ultimately has failed they still look back and say in my day and i do this too every generation always thinks theirs is the best why do you think that in the we all, every every generation always thinks that the the world is going to come to an end in their lifetime right dating back to book of revelation 5,000 years ago, the people then thought the world was ending. And here we are today, and people talking about the world ending. The world is going to come to an end. Religious people always talking about the world coming to an end, a great rapture. But it's always in, in their lifetimes. Because people can't fathom the world going on without them. But here's a reality check. It will. <laughs> it has and it will. <laughs> and so, yes, there's no question that rock and roll music has had a very impressive run. A run much more successful, much more embedded, much more significant than many of the other musical genres that were popular during their day. They all exist still. There's still operas that were written hundreds of years ago. There's classical music written hundreds of years ago. There's big band music written almost 100 years ago. Jazz, 100 years ago. These musical styles were extremely popular. Classical, opera, jazz in the 20s, big bands in the 40s and in the 40s. Uh, yes, rock and roll in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And that's when rock and roll started to lose its hold. And here we are now in the 2020s, and rock and roll is not dead, okay? It's not dead. I said this before. It's not dead, but it's, it's, it's in the intensive care unit in terms of a popular musical force of the day. Rock and roll music is still popular. Don't get me wrong. Radio stations, classic rock radio stations, still around, still popular. There are many of the founding acts and artists of the rock generation still around to their credit. But they're getting a little older. 
(laughs) And that's reality. And I believe that when many of these rock stars, some now that are in their late 70s or early 80s, who are still performing, some of their voices may be gone. That's understandable. Some of their proficiency may be gone. But they've made such an indelible mark on the culture and in people's lives that people will still want to see them, even if they are mere shadows of their previous self in terms of their performance and their abilities. Paul McCartney is 81 years old. He's going on tour again. If you remember, Frank Sinatra was in his 80s. He was forgetting lyrics, but people still went out and flocked to see him because he was Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra retired when he was 65, whatever that meant, in the 70s. And he came back, and he still was singing because that's what performers do. Show business, you never... Retire from show business. Show business retires you. And if you're lucky enough to be in that elite group where show business does not retire you, and there are several rock and roll stars today still around, still touring, still recording to their credit, and they are keeping that heartbeat of rock and roll alive to Quote, Huey Lewis. The heart of rock and roll is still beating. But it's, 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 it's getting fainter as the years go by. There's no question that right now the dominant music and has been for at least the last 10 years is hip-hop and rap and pop. You've got rap, rap stars, you've got hip-hop stars, and you've got pop stars. I mean, look at this summer alone. Taylor Swift has been dominating the concert scene. Her tour isn't even over, and it's going to wind up breaking the record. Elton John just set for the most successful rock tour of all time. His farewell tour that took three years, even though it's been over five, really, because of COVID. Um, but even even in the three years that it took to to do, it brought in more than $900 million, and within a summer, almost, Taylor Swift is is going to beat that record, probably. And she's selling hundreds of millions of dollars of merchandise. This summer, this year, 2023, when, mark my words, when you see all the specials about the recaps of 2023, this was really the year of female empowerment. We've been we've been in a female empowerment um, culture for several years now, but it is at its apex right now. In the movie theaters, culturally, I mean, in the movie theaters, Barbie, billion dollar film. And in music, Taylor Swift, breaking all records, filling up 
stadiums of 70,000 people for five or six nights in some cities. Cannot deny it. 2023 is the year of Barbie and Taylor Swift. Pop music. And Beyonce is out on tour now. You know, hip-hop, no question. You listen, you look at the top uh, of the record charts, there's no rock bands there. There hasn't been for years. Oh, yes, I know. Every so often, one of the classic rock stars like a Springsteen or a Madonna, who I don't do is really not a rock star, or a McCartney or someone like that will put out an album and that first week it will go to number one or number two and everybody gets all excited. Oh, wow. Uh, in today's world, first of all, to me, the, the charts don't really mean much. There's a whole different way of the way they're figuring them out and you know likes and follows and all that stuff and even downloads to me those don't really count you used to have to show some real effort for an album and or song to be number one because you know what you had to go out and buy it and the go out part is the key part you had to go out and buy it it took effort you had to leave your house and go to a store and buy it it's not climbing Mount Everest, but it's a little more effort than sitting in your base, sitting in your bedroom, on your phone, and just hitting download or like with a finger. So that's the way popularity of songs are calculated now. Way too easy. Way too easy. So I, I, I dismiss the Billboard charts and all the charts now. When I hear something was number one, it doesn't even... Nobody even knows what the number one song is right now. There's a time when everybody, even your parents, knew what the number one song was, even if they didn't like it. They still knew Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. <laughs> it wasn't their kind of music, but they still knew it. They heard of it. Now there's a little small group that controls the culture, they're all under 20, and it's their own little world. But that's where we're at. But you have to be honest. And I love rock and roll. I go to concerts. I still buy albums. I still listen to that music. It still invigorates me. It's my music. But I'm not delusional. I'm not like a Bear fan who thinks they're going to go to the Super Bowl this year or win their division. I'm still re a re realist and saying, yeah, you know what? Sadly, rock and roll will become a niche music. Like jazz, like big band, like classical, like opera. They're still around? Yes. They're still respected? Yes. They still have a following? Yes. But they're not dominant. They're not moving the culture. Every so often they have a couple little years of coming back as a fad, but it doesn't last. Rock and roll had an amazing run, so it will not fall into a non-existent kind of niche or even a, a little cultish niche, like perhaps opera and classical is. It, it, there's still fans of it, but it's a small group. If you're going to look at rock and roll from its real 
debut, if you if you use Elvis as the the beginning point, rock and roll will be celebrating its seventieth year in a couple of years. So yes, it had an amazing run and it had an amazing grip on the culture for a good forty five to fifty years. But that grip is gone. Some of the great music still stands. Some of these great artists that I talked about or will talk about are still around to their credit. And, and them being around and being active and the, the loyalty and the devotion of the rock fan who still goes to see concerts pays hundreds if not thousands of dollars to see it 70,000 people to still to still see Bruce Springsteen uh, I've traveled around the world to see Elton John on his farewell tour there's still that passion you cannot deny the passion and the respect um, and the love that rock fans have for their music I'm not denying that but I am being realistic it's not the force it used to be and if you and if you and if you deny that, you're clinging to nostalgia and you're clinging to this, this, this view that just is not seated in reality. It doesn't mean that rock will be gone or that you can't see a band or that you can't get enlivened by it, even by a new band. But in terms of it really being more than, sadly, a niche kind of music, I believe the shelf life of rock and roll has about 10 years to go. And I'll tell you why. Jimmy Buffett just passed away recently. It was a very sad news. Relatively young guy, but not really relatively young. And that's my point. 76 years old, and by today's standards, almost average age. But people, as we know, are now living into, past their 70s, into their 80s. We're seeing a lot more people even living to their hundreds. The nun from Loyola, 104 years old and going strong. Sister Jean. But the fact of the matter is that rock and roll is an active kind of music it's got energy and i think there's a shelf life to that so jimmy buffett died and i have to say i think that uh that even jimmy buffett would be surprised at the outpouring of respect and and sadness that came from all different areas not only this parrot head fans but but from his peers and people in all walks of life. Oh, I was sorry to hear that Jimmy Buffett passed away. And I think it, it, it struck me when I, when I saw that he was 76 and I saw this outpouring. And here was a guy that really, you have to, I mean, I was, a, I was not a parrot head. I did see Jimmy Buffett in concert one time at Poplar Creek back in the late 80s. And uh, it was exactly what I would have expected it to be. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was a party. You have to give Jimmy Buffett credit. Um, He was, he started in the late 60s and early 70s. He was a folk rock, country rock artist. 
If you listen to his lyrics, if you listen to his music, especially his early music, leading up to Margaritaville in 1977, and even beyond, he was a very talented songwriter. Now, his persona changed such that his songs, you could look at him and say, well, they're very trite, you know, let's get drunk and screw, it must be five o'clock somewhere. He embraced this party animal persona, and it turned out to be extremely successful and lucrative for him. According to many sources, he was a personally a billionaire. A billionaire. I mean, Paul McCartney is a billionaire. And deservedly so. But not many rock stars are billionaires. But Jimmy Buffett, to his credit, took one song that wasn't even a number one song. Margaritaville was not a number one song in 1977. But it was a popular song. It was a great summer song. And he wisely transformed that one song into a way of life, a, 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 a brand, an experience, a feeling of, of good times, of beaches and surfs and blue skylines and beautiful oceans and, and a, a carefree pirate lifestyle and a party attitude. So let's just have fun. And Jimmy Buffett was never a huge chart monster. His albums never hit number one like the Beatles or anyone else. But he tapped into something the same way the Grateful Dead did. He created a community. And that's what rock and roll does too. Rock and roll has has always been a community. It began as a rebellious act against a restrictive and repressive society in the 50s. But by the 60s, it was, it was very communal from Woodstock on. This sense of community. And other stars have been able to do that too. Bruce Springsteen certainly among them. But Jimmy Buffett's was a whole different story, just like the Grateful Dead. People basically following them with their lives. Their lives revolved around Grateful Dead tours selling things and moving on with vans to the next city. Grateful Dead cities moving from town to town. And while that was kind of a hippie vibe, a 60s leftover, late early 70s hippie vibe, that still lives on now in, in, in for the most part with the followings of the group Fish. They've sort of picked up the Grateful Dead mantle, even though members of the Grateful Dead, since Jerry Garcia passed away, have tried to continue it as well. But Fish kind of brought, took that mantle. Not a, not a tribute band, playing their own music, but they, they tapped into the community aspect and the long jams. 
and they've been extremely successful as well by taking that over. There's, there's, a, there's definitely a need and a want for that. We've seen that. Rock and roll has that, that communal aspect to it that other music's, music forms never had. They were popular. People were, 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 are, were and are defiantly loyal to it. They love it. But rock fans, more than of the more than the other genres, seem to live it. At least a big group of them. And as I said, Jimmy Buffett took one song and the the, the, the and the and the intention of it and the and the the mood of it and the experience of it and expanded it into an entire, he transformed his music, his career into this parrot head lifestyle. Margaritaville restaurants, Margaritaville hotels and casinos and even retirement homes and products and in wardrobe and 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 alcoholic beverages he totally immersed himself broadway shows books all about these this pirate parrot head lust for life beachcomber lifestyle this escapism that's what rock and roll provided for a generation and for several generations at its at its at its beginnings an escapism before that classical opera jazz big bands entertainment was how it was how it was viewed entertainment but not lifestyle not escapism as complete as rock and roll. They all had their aspects of it. Hey, you know, jazz fans are, there's people that live the, the bohemian jazz life. I get that. I get that. But rock and roll was, at its, at its beginnings, a fiercely rebellious, liberating cultural phenomenon that used music as its foundation, but it was more of a cultural revolution against a repressive, adult-driven society in the 50s that still viewed children as necessary evils, as to be seen and not heard. It was an adult-driven society. Children weren't even thought about until they became teenagers and then now finally you're getting over all that childish stuff and you're going to become an adult. That was what was important. Adulthood. But given the numbers of the youth culture growing up in the 50s who were born in the mid to late 40s, Thus the name Baby Boom when all the soldiers came back after World War II in 1945. By 1955, 1956, 1957, you had teenagers 
And they were looking around, and they had the numbers, because when those soldiers came home, they got to work. (laughs) Thus, the baby boom. And 12, 13 years later, those kids had numbers to move the culture. And they were looking around, as all kids are, every younger generation is rebellious. But the baby boomers were different because they had the numbers to back it up. They couldn't be quashed down by the the ruling adult generation as they easily could have been done for centuries. And so that was where rock and roll was born in this, this, this sense of rebellion and liberation and freedom and being what, and being a person, not just a kid, being heard. It was a, it was a repudiation of everything. That's why there was such a generation gap and that was, that's why there was such turmoil especially in the 60s, as as the baby boomers now became adults. The generation gap was huge. This was a cultural revolution and phenomenon. It was not just entertainment. It was a whole different way of life. It was a repudiation of the, the status quo that had been in power for centuries, not just decades. And it was global. And that's another reason why people say, well, why, why isn't rock and roll music the same? Or why isn't it as good as it used to be? Or why is it, you know, uh, why is it not as dominant anymore? Why did it go away? It had to. It had to. Because those cultural elements that gave birth to rock and roll the repressive society, the adult-driven society, the strict religious-based society, that doesn't exist anymore, at least not in the United States. And so you can't really have any 20-year-old today can like rock music, can have an appreciation for it, can have that feeling of rebellion and liberation, all those elements that, that are at the foundation of rock and roll. But the difference is the culture around them isn't there for them to rebel against. You can't, for instance, you can't, rebel against your parents if they're still paying your cell your 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 phone bill you can't rebel against your parents if you're living in their basement in the 50s and 60s kids left home Kids followed rock bands. That's where the the, the whole dead they, they 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 rejected their parents' lifestyle, and they set out on their own. Some made it, some didn't. 
But there was a rebellion, a real rebellion. Look at the Manson family. I'm not certainly not uh, justifying it, but there was a band of, of lost youth who felt that they, 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 they rejected their, their suburban. And, and a lot of those kids in the, in the Manson family came from, from, from privileged backgrounds. They weren't just leaving uh, poor parents. They were leaving privileged backgrounds. But they were, as part of this revolution, this cultural revolution in the 60s especially, that was fueled by rock and roll, they repudiated their parents' lifestyle and they were looking for something different. They didn't know what they were, it was, it was not very well thought out. But the rebellion and the, and the need for freedom and liberation from that repressive society of the Eisenhower years was real. Now, do people say, well, why, you know, why, why did, where did this British invasion of rock and roll, why, why did it, why was it so huge and so impactful? I mean, you know, at the, you know, United States is, even at that time, let's say it had 200 million people or 165 million people. You know, I mean, England's a small island. Maybe 20 million people now. But look at the, the amount of rock and roll icons that came out of Britain. And you say, well, wh- wh- why? Wh- what, wh- what was in the water? It wasn't in the water. It was in the air. You have to remember, in World War II, Britain was blasted, literally, bombed, the Blitzkrieg, by Germany. London and many country, many cities within Great Britain were destroyed. They were in rubble. There was a real question about the survival of Britain. And when World War II ended... The country had to build itself back up physically and emotionally. And they went through economic hard times. And it was in that atmosphere that the British baby boomer generation was born. In the late 40s and early and mid 50s. Of Britain struggling to come back from the devastation that it experienced during World War II. And so, so many British kids were born in a lower middle class existence. They saw their parents working 15 hours a day in factories, in coal mines, barely making ends meet, drinking, Bad marriages, not happy, living pretty tough lives. And these kids looked at that and, like every generation, says, well, I'm not going to do that. But the difference, as I said before, is that the baby boomers had the numbers to, to, to build that revolution, to make that revolution real. 
If you look at the majority of the rock stars that came over from England to America and became some of the biggest acts in the world, like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, you know, Rod Stewart and Pink Floyd and the Kinks and and all these bands, the Who, they all came from middle-class families, but most of, the, most of those artists were artists. They, were, they, they went to art school. If you look at the backgrounds of many or most of the biggest British invasion bands that have hung around for 50 years, like the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and the Kinks and Pink Floyd and things like that, most of the members met at school, and they were art schools or they were colleges. They had a different perspective. They, had, they, were, they were artistic oriented and they looked at their parents' lives and they said, I am not just going to graduate high school and work in the factory for the next 40 years. I'm not going to do that. And while that restlessness and that fear and that rebellion was boiling inside of them, the perfect storm was happening around them. And that was rock and roll. And that was their way out. Just like sports is the way out for many young kids. Rock and roll was the way out for many young kids in the 50s and 60s, especially in Britain. So when Jimmy Buffett passed away, it dawned on me that he was, you know, sadly he passed away from cancer. guess he had it for three or four years. He was battling it. Didn't tell anybody. Still performing fairly consistently over the last four years. But he passed away at 76, and it, it got me thinking. You know, the age of most of the classic rock stars today, you go, oh, wow, wow, Jimmy Buffett? was 76 wow okay well how old are the other guys and other women and so i started to do a little research some of the pillars of rock and roll now about 10 15 years ago i remember even saying that you know there's a an expiration date on the rock and roll lifestyle about 10 or 15 years ago, we're starting to see many, not many, but a good, a, a, a good number of, of rock stars passing away in their late 50s or earlier mid-60s. And it became almost a, a trend or, you know, you were seeing that, that physically there may have been a toll to play for that sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle, that They're, they're, they did damage to their bodies, their organs, with the drugs and the alcohol and the late nights and the travel and everything that went into that rock and roll hedonistic lifestyle, that debauchery lifestyle. Some people had a ball in their 20s and 30s and were dying by their late 50s and early 60s. They had just done so much damage to their body. 
But here we are 15 years later, and while, yes, sadly, we lost George Harrison in his late 50s, almost 25 years ago. You know, you see, I mean, John Lennon, sadly, of course, was assassinated. But, you know, I, I don't know if you saw that Get Back documentary that was on Disney+. Plus. You still might be able to see it when the Beatles were making the Let It Be album in 1969. And you constantly hear George Harrison saying, oh, I got to get me some Siggies. He's constantly mentioning Siggies. And you watch that now and you, you just kind of shake your head because there was... You know, a 27, 28, 29-year-old George Harrison without a care in the world thinking how cool it was to smoke and then realizing that, sadly, 30 years from then, he would pass away from lung cancer. Because, most likely, because of smoking those ciggies. And you go, George, put those cigarettes away. We need you. But here we are. And some rock stars, amazingly, have made it past their 60s, into their 70s, and even into their 80s. And as I said before, they're still out there performing. Paul McCartney is 81. Ringo Starr is 83. Mick Jagger is 80. Keith Richards is 79. Rod Stewart is 78. Elton John is 76. Bruce Springsteen is going to turn 74 in a couple of weeks. Billy Joel is 74. James Taylor is 75. Roger Waters of Pink Floyd is 80. Paul Simon is 81. Bob Dylan is 82. Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac, 75. Pat Benatar is 70. <laughs> Don Henley, 76. When you look around, you start to say, these people, whether they pass away or whether they lose their abilities to perform, may be gone in one way or the other in the next 10 years. That's not being morbid. That's not being disrespectful. That's not being insensitive. It's just being realistic. I hope that Paul McCartney could live to be 100. But reality does set in. We all age... We all decline. We all slowly deteriorate, some quicker than others. And sadly, we all pass away. And while there is rock and roll on the radio, and while there are young bands that are playing rock and roll, I truly believe that in the 50s and 60s and early 70s, that was a renaissance period, just like the renaissance of, of uh, Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. There was, a, a, there was just a, a rebirth of creativity, a huge amount of a burst of, of, of creativity 
and energy that happens in a culture. And I truly believe that we will look back in a hundred years and they will look back at the, 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 especially the 60s and 70s as a renaissance period akin to the renaissance of painting and literature like Leonardo and Michelangelo and Shakespeare. I truly believe that. It's weird to think because we don't realize that we're living in that, but as time goes on, you look back at the enormity of the art that was produced during that time and the quality of it and the impact that it still has. And you have to say that was a very special moment in time. And so these practitioners of that, we're lucky to have many of them still around. Those names that I said. The sad reality is, and as I said, I think, you know, Jimmy Buffett's passing brought this to my mind, is that even the coolest guys, even the coolest rock stars, male or female, can't help but be human. (laughs) Can't help to be human. And they will and have succumbed to the aging process. And when you look at Paul McCartney's age and Ringo Starr's age and Mick Jagger's age and you see what they've been through, what they've done to their bodies physically. Now, Mick Jagger is really an incredible specimen. He still has the same physique that he had when he was 21 years old. He's an anomaly. He's, he's something that you can't even. But, you know, let's be honest. Keith Richards looks every bit of 79 years old, if not 90. He's also an anomaly. You never would have thought that Keith Richards would have made it and some other people didn't. And I'm not talking about the tragic early overdose deaths of people like you know Jimi Hendrix or Janis Joplin or Jim Morris and some of the others who died during rock's early years. I'm talking about now a lot of these a lot of these rock stars have cleaned up to some extent but they're just getting old. It's it's just the realities of life. And so that's why I say 2033 10 years from now there's a good chance that within the next 10 years there might be a few that 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 get past it and are like Sister Jean from Loyola. But of those names that I read, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, I didn't mention people like Neil Young, who's 77. I think Pete Townsend of The Who uh, is at least 79 or so. Roger Daltrey, I think, is 80. You know, within the next 10 years, even if they take great care of themselves, even if they've become sober or they've quit drugs and all the other stuff, that craziness that they, they made it through the lifestyle and, 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 and kudos for them. 
a lot of that stuff was self-inflicted, but you cannot stop Father Time. And so the reality is that in the next 10 years, a lot of those names that I read could be, or most likely, will be gone. They will have passed away. Or at the very least, if they do make it past into their 90s, they certainly won't be performing with the regularity that they are now. And I do believe that the fact that so many of them are still physically able to get out there on stage and put on a show that is worthy... I mean, let's be honest, Paul McCartney's voice has deteriorated, but he's got a good band around him, and he's got an incredible catalog of songs. He doesn't sound like he did when he sang Band to Run anymore, Band on the Run. It's not, he doesn't sound the same, but there's enough embellishments that go on that he still has the energy, God bless him, and he can still sing those songs to some extent with help, that they bring, they they tap into that nostalgia that that the rock and roll fans still feel same thing with Ringo same thing with all of them I saw Bruce Springsteen he's putting he's been putting on shows on this tour still playing more than two and a half hours but I could see I've been to more than 60 of his shows I've, I've been going to his shows for more than 40 years I can see that the energy level is different he's still his performance is still energetic it's better than anything else out there he's created but but his fans bring a lot of that just like jimmy buffett's fans did too jimmy buffett once again you know you've got to you got to give the guy credit but he came out with the shorts and the in the in the hawaiian shirts but he created that community that his fans brought so much energy they came there wanting to have a good time and he showed up and gave it to him I wonder, in the Jimmy Buffett situation, who will take over the mantle for Jimmy Buffett? Can anybody? I mean, there's a big group, just like the Deadheads. They found fish. Is there there an existing artist or act out there that will be able to corral the Parrotheads without being accused of selling out or... I mean, that's the key about fish. Fish, whether you like them or not, whether you've heard them or not, but what they did was they they picked up the, the Grateful Dead mantle on their own terms. They they write their own music. They they've they are viewed as legitimate heirs to the throne. They're not tribute bands and they're not sellout fakes. They do their own thing in the spirit of that the Grateful Dead music and the Grateful Dead community clung to and created. So the question is, what happens to the Parrot Heads? I guarantee you there will be a ton of Jimmy Buffett tribute bands. That's a big thing now, tribute bands, because their fans would much... They love the music of some of these great rock bands of all time. Many of them are not no longer together, like Pink Floyd, for instance or Fleetwood Mac, or things like that. So their fans would love to hear those songs live. They still love their live music. And so there's younger people that 
play their music. They try to look like them to some extent, and they try to sound exactly like them to play into those songs, keep that music alive, and play into the audience's nostalgia. That's a huge business right now, tribute bands. So now the question is, I mean, believe me, you will see bands called the Coral Reef, and you will see tribute bands called Cheeseburgers in Paradise if they're not already around. You know, Margarita Bill. <laughs> I like that. Hey, I just came up. I, now, if I was going to have a, a Jimmy Buffett tribute band, even though my name isn't Bill, it would be there. Margarita Bill. Tribute to Jimmy Buffett. I like that. I, I'm, I don't know why I'm giving that away for free. Margarita Bill. <laughs> Wasted away with Margarita Bill. <laughs> the ultimate Jimmy Buffett tribute band. We'll see what happens, but I guarantee you there will be tribute bands, but that's not the same as the Parrothead nation, if you will, the Parrothead community. The Parrotheads... I, they love that music. They're going to look for somebody. It'll be interesting to see who emerges, whether it's somebody young or somebody still around, who picks up that mantle from Jimmy Buffett because it's out there. His Margaritaville empire made $5 billion. He had a billion of his own. Those numbers turn people's heads, folks. Don't forget, it's called the music business. It's called show business. But I truly believe that when the elder rock stars like Paul McCartney, who's 81, or the Stones, or just putting out a new album in 18 years, first album in 18 years, I'm sure going to go out and tour and support it. And here's a quick prediction. It comes out in October. They've already released the first single. Everybody's all excited about it. It's a song called Angry. Oh, it's their best song in 40 years. Well, it's, it's, it's a good song, but it's not Start Me Up. We want the Stones to be as good as they were 40 years ago. It plays into our nostalgia, but it's got a nice riff, but it ain't Start Me Up. It wants to be, but it isn't. I'll tell you what's going to happen. The album will called um, Hackney Diamonds will be released. It most likely will sell a lot of albums the first week out. All the Stone fans will run out and buy it. And it may, with all the hype around it, become a number one album. But like so many of the Baby Boomer rock stars, it will be on the charts for about two weeks and it will drop quickly. It will be, if, if, it's an, if it is a number one album... And I and, and it might be it may be I'm giving maybe giving, giving them too much credit because, as I said before, the hip hop world and country music has such a hold on the music scene right now that maybe there's not even enough diehard Stones fans to make it number one during its first week. But I guarantee you, it will probably be in the top five. But within two or three weeks, it will be gone. It'll be off the charts or it'll be way down because there's nowhere to play it. There's, no, there's nobody going to play that album. The, the, the rock stations, radio rock stations, they just play the classic hits. They don't play new music. 
And the other radio stations just play the popular stuff that the young kids want. And the young kids aren't going to go out and buy the Rolling Stones album. It's going to be their diehard baby boomer, 60-year-old, 70-year-old fans. So, yeah, for one week it'll sell some quasi-impressive numbers and go high in the charts. But then after that initial burst, when all those fans run out that first week to buy it or download it, whatever they're going to do, It'll quickly fade away. Guaranteed. It's not a knock against the stones. It's the world. It's the culture. I think rock and roll is even still in the pop culture zeitgeist because of the fact that people like McCartney and Ringo and the Stones and Rod Stewart and Elton John and Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel and James Taylor... And, and Paul Simon and Bob Dylan are still out there. And the Eagles, they've got a farewell tour. Steven Tyler, you know, Aerosmith, he's 75. They're in a farewell tour. Kiss. Gene Simmons is 74. All of these bands are on farewell tours. They're trying to make this one last money grab. So with all of them still out there, still putting on a show, it's different. It's nostalgic. It's still quality enough. It's not worth $1,000 a ticket. But that's what people are willing to pay to see a legend just stand there at the very least. That's basically what a lot of times what you're paying for. I mean, people are saying what a terrible, you know, Guns N' Roses and and Axl Rose isn't even that old. But, you know, he's a screamer. I, I can't blame the poor guy. He's, he's in his 60s. His voice, it should be ravaged. So more power to these acts, but I think that when we start to lose them, either if they pass in the next 10 years or they just retire because they can't do it anymore, when that happens, I do believe that rock and roll will really be moved into that kind of niche, nostalgic music of the past. These, these acts, Stevie Nicks and Billy Joel were still out on the road. You know, these acts are keeping it alive. They're keeping it in the public arena. They're, they're tapping into the nostalgia. But when they're gone, when they are no longer on the scene, either on the stage or even around because they've passed away or they... They're just health, they're they're physically not doing it anymore, and we don't see them and hear them. Then rock and roll will be relegated to a nostalgia niche music. Yes, there will be rock bands making music, and people will go see them, just like there are young jazz people, and there's a there's a very small but loyal jazz audience. No question. There's people that still go to operas. It's small, but it's loyal. There's classical people. They go to symphony orchestras. It's a small group. It's intensely loyal, but it's not dominating. And that, sadly, is where rock and roll is going to be. There was an arrogance that rock and roll would never die. But That's an arrogance of every youth generation, that theirs is the one that will 
always be cool. And that's what's so hard about the whole state of rock and roll is that this is a generation, the baby boomers, you know, they're still going to those concerts. They're not going to as many as they used to, but they're still going. They've always been the generation that would never grow old. They've been rebelling against it. They're, you know, now they've got pickleball because they can't play tennis anymore. So you still see the baby boomers are, 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 are keeping on. They're, they're, they're grasping. They're keeping that, gr- that grip to, to stay cool, to stay young. That was, their, that was their rallying cry when they were cool and they were young. And now that they're in their 70s and 80s, they still look in the mirror and say, I'm still young and I'm still cool. And they're trying to defy the realities of life. But the realities of life are, for instance, in the last week, we just saw Bruce Springsteen, who's been getting rave reviews, the greatest show on earth. Oh, my God, he's still playing two and a half to three hours, and da, 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 da. And then what happens? Last week, Bruce Springsteen canceling the remainder of his shows in September because he's been diagnosed with a peptic ulcer. What does that even mean? I had to look it up. The boss has a peptic ulcer? (laughs) Tramps like us? Baby, we were born to run? Is taking Pepto-Bismol or Tums now? We can't stop Father Time. Elton John just finishes his, his tour, falls, falls at his home. Spends the night in in the hospital. May have hit his head. They tend to take tests. Observation. (laughs) You know, Mick Jagger, for the great shape that he's in, a couple years ago, he went in for his physical before a tour, and they found out he had a bad heart valve. He could have died. Paul Simon says, I can't hear. He just put a new album out, but he can't really tour anymore because he can't hear. He's going deaf or is deaf in one or both ears. <laughs> so I'm not trying to be disrespectful or insensitive because I love rock and roll and I will continue to listen to it for as long as I live. But when Jimmy Buffett passed away, it struck me, A, that he was 76 years old. And as I said, I started to do the math. And I was like, wow. You know, in 10 years. I mean, the thing that really struck, it wasn't even so much Jimmy Buffett. Right after Jimmy Buffett died, uh, sort of a semi-one-hit wonder, uh, an artist named Gary Wright passed away. And you may remember his songs from the 70s. Dreamweaver was a huge number one song. And Love is Alive, I actually like that song better, to be honest. Um, he passed away. Apparently, he had uh, uh, Parkinson's and and Alzheimer's. He was 80. (laughs) Who knew that Gary Wright was 80? (laughs) That's when the one that hit me. I'm like, well, even the one-hit wonders are 80. You know, Neil Diamond, 
has Parkinson's disease. He's, he's stepped off the stage. One of the biggest hit makers in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He had to step off the stage. Parkinson's disease. These are, it's, you know, these were the, this was the generation that created cool. They created cool. If they didn't create it, they certainly perfected it. The baby boomers. And they are succumbing to the same aging and decline that their parents did, that they rebelled against, that they made fun of, and now they're in that same thing. It's not a knock. It's reality. It's a part of the human experience. So it's, I'm not happy about it, but I do say that, and I said this a few years ago, I was realizing this, as I said, I, I noticed there, the expiration date on some of these rock stars, and so I said, you know, I want to see at least some of these major bands at least one more time. And I was starting to go, I saw, you know, uh, Gordon Lightfoot. He was 81 when I saw him, right right when things were loosening up with COVID in 2021. He just passed away. The guy was taking oxygen on stage between songs. Still up there. I mean, I saw Gordon Lightfoot, but I didn't really see Gordon Lightfoot. I saw The Who in in 2019 in uh, Madison Square Garden. I love The Who. There's the For me, there's The Beatles, The Who, and The Stones. A lot of people have The Stones second. I have the Who second. I love the Who. I love Pete Townsend, and I'm like, I got. I want to see them in Madison Square Garden one last time. And it was really a disappointing show. It was, into fact, we're halfway through. Pete Townsend even admitted it, and Roger Daltrey's voice was kind of shot toward the end. And I said, you know what? I don't know if this is such a good idea. I'm not. It's cool to see these people, but I, I don't want to spend all this money and all this time just to see a museum piece. I was lucky enough to see these people in their prime, and maybe that's what I should cling to and keep remembering them as they were as opposed to the way they are. So, no, I'm not going to see Paul McCartney. I'm not going to go see the Stones. I didn't even see Bruce Springsteen during this summer tour. I saw him earlier on this tour in March in Milwaukee. But time is catching up. It's hard for them to deal with. They can't believe they're 75 or 80 either because they look in the mirror and think they're still 25. It's hard for their audience to believe that so much time has passed and that they're in their 60s and 70s and 80s. And it's hard to believe that these that these albums and this music is 50 and 60 years old. But yes, next year in February will be this in on February uh 9th will be the 60th anniversary of when the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan and everything changed. 60 years ago. So I would say if you're a rock fan, embrace it, love it, enjoy it, but also realize that it's got a shelf life, it's got an expiration date, and as 
every year goes by, that expiration date gets closer. So that's my prediction. We've got a good 10 years left of rock and roll. Let's make the best of it. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 381. I'm Jim Toronto, and here on business, I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen.